everybody. Welcome back to Notes from the Ivy League. I know it's been a while since the most recent episode, but I have something that I'm really excited to share. I got the chance to go back to my hometown of Texarkana, Arkansas, and deliver a keynote to the faculty and staff of the Texarkana, Arkansas School District. And I shared some of some more insight into my upbringing and how educators changed my life. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. When I was about 15 or 16, I did something that most hormone crazed, logic-hating teenagers do, and I set my mind on doing something that many people would consider a foolish, stupid, or dumb decision. And no, it wasn't that I was going to pull some magnificent prank on Arkansas Ice Campus, or commit a petty crime like shoplifting, or ghost to sneak out to a party. It was something more crazy, more delusional than that. And I decided that I, a kid from a low-income, single-parent household, on, uh, in Texas and Arkansas, would not only be the first person in my family to get a college degree, but I was going to get one from an Ivy League school. And when I meet new people and I share my background, growing up in Texarkana, and then I tell them where I went to school, they get a little confused. And one of the most common questions I'm asked is, how did someone like you get to a school like Yale? And when I was asking this speech by my former high school English teacher, Matt Coleman, and Magnet Director Rachel Scott, I knew we didn't come from a place of confusion, but rather a place of curiosity and a place that held a deep desire to help the students of TASD realize and maximize their potential. And so I've been given this, this hefty, hefty task of dissecting my childhood in Texarkana to share nuggets of information that can be transferred and utilized in learning environments across the school district. But there is no strict formula. There's no cheat code, no loophole to success to get where I, I've been. And believe me, I've thought about this a lot, enough to start a podcast where I speak with guests from similar backgrounds as mine, who went to some of the, who went to some of the top schools in the country, um, how they got how they got there. And it's something that fascinates me. But there are two major factors among people who grew up like me in the projects on Section 8 who also went to some of the top schools in the world is self-esteem and access to opportunities. Throughout my childhood, I, I was taught that confidence in myself, to love myself, and to expect more from myself than what life or society or the universe expected of someone like me. So I will share two significant memories of mine. The first covers the power positive language has in my child's life. And the second covers the importance of access to opportunities to shine and to grow. And then afterwards, I'll open the floor for a quick Q&A session for any more specific questions you may have. So memory number one begins with the very first teacher I've ever had, my mother. My mother's getting surgery right now, so I'm a little emotional. <laughs> uh, but like most mothers, she never hesitated to remind me to do things. Andrew, wash the dishes. Andrew, clean your room, Andrew, take out the trash, and so on. And although my mom would agree with anyone who says I have a selective memory, there was one lesson that she taught me that I will never forget. One day, in my early childhood, my mother came in after getting off from her second or third job. And although she worked a lot and she was probably exhausted, my mom is not known as a quiet person in my family. But on this particular day, she didn't say a word. She came in, put her things away, and sat next to me and my brothers while we played video games. And 
I'm sitting there, my mind's racing, avoiding eye contact with my mom because when she's quiet, something's wrong. And I'm thinking, am I in trouble? Did I do something wrong? And after a few moments, I muster up the courage to look up and I see her, her eyes welling with tears. And I actually found out last night why. It's because at work, she was passed up for a promotion because she didn't have a college degree. But she looks at me and she, she shares this very small, faint smile and says, never forget that you are destined for greatness. Never forget that you are destined for greatness. These are the words that my mother told me nearly every single day of my childhood. And they formed the nucleus of my self-esteem, ambition, and work ethic to this day. And these powerful words that cost nothing to say, nothing they increased my sense of self-worth little by little every single day. But what I think is so profound and so magical about that phrase is that it's beautifully vague. She didn't prescribe what greatness should be, what it should look like. But it was vague enough to where I had to define what greatness meant to me. And I knew Webster's definition of greatness. I was a nerdy kid. I did spelling bees. I read the dictionary for fun. So that wasn't a problem. But I asked myself, how do I become great? Well, I made a list of what a great person is to me. Smart, physically active, creative, philanthropic, ambitious, grounded, hardworking, innovative, and so on. And it's with that list, plus my mom reminding me of that very important lesson, I began to strive, and still continue to strive, to become those things. So step one of getting students to dream bigger than what their background or society or history tells them to, never let them forget that they will, that you believe that they will achieve great things. But like every good parent, my mom made sure to let me know when my head was getting a little too big and also made sure to expose me to a diverse range of learning experiences, which leads us to memory number two. Despite living in poverty and suffering from an abusive stepfather for several years, I didn't really need a lot of motivation in school. So when people say that motivation is all you need, that motivation is key, I think they're missing a very, very vital part of the equation, and that's access to opportunities. A student can be the most talented, the most motivated person, but if they're not even given the opportunity to compete, or if they're, if they're, not, if they're not even told an opportunity exists, then we as educators are not providing an equitable playing field. And I was fortunate to have several educators and community members, many of which are in this room today, who saw something within me that I did not always see in myself. And they nurtured that potential and taught me to dream big despite the odds. And one instance of this came soon after I took the PSAT in my high school career. And I received a letter in the mail from QuestBridge, which is an organization that offers high-achieving, low-income students the chance to be matched with top-tier schools in the country, like Harvard, Stanford, and a tiny school in Connecticut, also known as Yale. And as I'm looking at that letter, in the, in the back of my mind, I think, this sounds too good to be true. And then there's other voice that bars in, my mom's voice, saying, if it's too good to be true, if it sounds too good to be true, then it probably is. So where do I do with that letter? throw it in the trash. A few weeks later, another letter shows up. I throw that in the trash. 
Weeks later, a third one shows up. I finally show my mom this letter, and then she tells me to talk to my teachers at school. And so I go to the small teachers that I'm really connected with, and I show them. They help me with the application process, and then I get in. And then I get this spectacular opportunity to go to a conference at Yale. And then, without a moment of hesitation, without an inkling of doubt, this small educator said, you gotta go. And for someone like me who always thinks about money, who always thinks about the negative or the more realistic side of things, I was really struck by the opportunity first, positivity first thinking. So we probably solved the finances, we probably solved the logistics, and I was actually able to visit the place I dreamed about and would eventually call home for four years. And this wasn't the only time educators in the school district rallied together to help change the course of my life, but it was definitely a significant one. And I'm not saying that you all need to do this every single day for every student for every year of the rest of your career. I'm just saying at least tell kids that there's something more out there, that there's something more than what they've been exposed to, more than what you've been exposed to. Pique their curiosity. If there's an opportunity and you think a kid can grow from it, and they might not always be the one that's picked, give them a shot. They might surprise you. They might surprise themselves. And I can go on and on about this because there are dozens of reasons why I decided to dream, to dream big. But if you leave this room today with one thing, with one single thing from you, it's this. Not every student is as lucky as I was. Not every student has someone at home to build them up every day. Not every student has someone in their corner. Not every student gets a magical letter in the mail that will change their life. Not every student has someone willing to make sacrifices on their behalf. But every single student has access to teachers, principals, security guards, dining hall workers, bus drivers, counselors. And in reality, it doesn't take all of you to change a child's life. It just takes one of you to go that extra mile and to remind the student that they are, in fact, <laughs>